All right. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Everybody good? Should have had plenty of opportunity to catch up with your neighbor, make sure everybody is good and awake and not falling asleep. I don't know how you could be asleep after that in powerful moment of worship this morning. Um, so thankful for the body of Christ, so thankful for friends like Jeremy who are gracious enough to uh, be with us and share their gift uh, with, with our church, and uh, it is a joy and a delight. Listen, <clears throat> excuse me, let, uh, we just wrapped up a series called The Church Is, and I really encourage you, if you missed any of those, go online to our website, newlifechurchofjackson.org. Uh, easy to find the sermon downloads there, and you can listen. Uh, particularly, it, it, that particular series w- included our Heart for the House service, uh, where we shared uh, some really incredible, wonderful things that God has been doing in the life of our church over the first six, seven months of this year. And we laid out some things uh, that are on the horizon for us looking ahead. Uh, in fact, we have a sheet printed out for you that's at the connect table. You can pick up on your way out th- uh, here in about three hours. And um, just making sure you were awake and you were actually listening to me. And, um, and it just, just shares the rest of the year and a few things a peek into next year. And, uh, but uh, nonetheless, we're starting a new series today. The new series is called Lost and Found. Lost and Found. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and open your Bibles up to the book of Judges. Old Testament, the book of Judges. Go to about Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible. Go forward, Joshua, Judges. You'll find it. Just stop there in chapter 1. And I'm going to have a few things to say before we get to that part of text. Lost and Found. The main uh, word that that the text that we're building this series on is really one scripture, and it's in Luke 15. I'm going to read it. It's going to be on the screen for you today. Luke 15, verse 32. It's the last scripture in the story of the parable of the prodigal son. We're actually going to get to this parable in a couple of weeks, uh, but we're just picking some narratives out of this to set this series up today. And it's uh, the verse 32. It says this. This is the father speaking to the older son. He said, We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Let's pray over this word today. God, we are so thankful for you, so thankful for the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So thankful for the work you do in our life. God, sometimes we don't always appreciate it or acknowledge it, but I thank you. You are at work in our lives because you love us. And I thank you so much for getting that into our hearts this morning already, that you love us. And God, you have a great purpose for each of our lives. And I pray today as we get into your word, you would speak to us, speak life to us, speak clear direction to us, convict us where we need it, challenge us where we need it, but with that comes your help, comes your grace. Help us to walk it out. Help me to speak your words, oh God, as though you were right here standing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This whole idea of lost and found is really not so much about a destination as it is about a condition. So I want you to go with me in that train of thought, not so much about a destination, but about a condition. A person is not lost because they will end up in the wrong place. 
a person will end up in the wrong place because they are lost. Think about it this way, your vehicle, your car. Anybody drive a Tesla in here? No, I wanted to take a ride in one. Oh, right back here. Let me have a ride in your Tesla. All right. If your car is, it, it doesn't, it, if your car no longer works, like kaput, if it no longer works, it does not matter if it ends up in a junkyard or on the showroom floor. Why? Because its condition is broke. And you got this story right here tucked away in Luke 15, the Gospel of Luke, that sets this whole scenario up about lost and found. Two brothers, one young, one old, older. The younger one, as it, the story goes, a lot of people deal, spend a lot of time about him. It's pretty obvious what he does. It's like no-brainer, duh, you're lost, bro. Get it. You come back home, rejoice. And we're going to get into all that. I'm not demeaning the story here. But then you've got the older son, too. He stayed home. He didn't go away. He did what his father said. He did everything right. But yet he was lost too. It's not about a destination. It's about a condition. And the question we got to ask ourselves and be honest enough to answer, especially in our day and time, is this, is what is the condition of my soul? You see, I think to be lost speaks to a soul that is unhealthy, that's dislocated, detached, uptight, chaotic, cluttered, hardened, perhaps shallow, etc. But I think also on the opposite side, to be found speaks to a soul that is healthy, that is at peace, that is centered on the Lord, that is assured, that is joyful, that is accepting, that is focused, that is content and restful. I'm not talking about feelings. This idea of lost and found, it's not about feelings, it's about condition. Because see, I, I think we could live saved, we could live born again in Christ, and still not have re real peace in our life. Because of maybe unresolved issues, maybe because of unconfessed sin, etc., etc. See, there are many contributing factors that, that play into and affect the condition of a person's soul. And the fact is, if we ignore those, then we could spend the rest of our life lost. Never fulfilling the great purpose that God has for each of our lives. But on the other hand, if the condition of our soul is healthy, then you and I will live a life that produces God-fearing and God-honoring things. So there are many contributors that, that affect the condition of our soul. And we're going to look at those here in the book of Judges. Hopefully you found it by now. We try to put a lot of these verses on the screen for us, for you to follow along. But kind of just set this whole stage up with, with the book of Judges. It's interesting. We're going to look at this today and, and God willing next week as well. Today we're going to look at two factors. Just two factors today that contribute to the condition of a person's soul. And the, the, the status and the condition of it. The, the, the story here, you got the 12 tribes of Israel. Joshua has died. Before him was Moses, then Joshua. He died. you got the 12 tribes of Israel. They all settled the allotment of their land. They were moving on. They were going to uh, establish life and move forward, etc., etc. And, and there was no earthly king. There were no kings in the mix at this point in time because God was to be his people's king. Okay, But this required the people to follow God and obey God. 
That was not always the case. That was not always the situation you read throughout these uh, Old Testament scriptures and stories. Uh, you see, because God's people were off and on. They became faithful, then they became unfaithful. They became faithful, and they became unfaithful at different times. And, and so when they were unfaithful, the Lord allowed the neighboring enemies to oppress Israel. So that caused Israel to cry out, God help us, save us, rescue us. And you know what? God did. And God still does today. He rescued them and he delivered them. And he did so through people he raised up, through these folks known as judges. They were leaders. Judges. And he, these guys were responsible for driving out the enemy and helping to restore the hearts of God's people back to the Lord. But time after time, again, Israel relapsed, went back, went forth, went back, went forth, and up and down, in and out. You could say they were in a, in a cycle of, of being lost and being found. They wrestled with this. They struggled with this. And so we're going to look at two, two factors today uh, with the time I've got left. I think it's an hour and a half, okay? So we should be good. I'm joking. If you're new here, I really don't. I don't think I've ever preached that long before. Um, Two factors we're going to look at here in the book of Judges, starting in chapter 1 here. First factor is this, sowing. S-O-W, not S-E-W, S-O-W-I-N-G, sowing. Proposes the question, what am I sowing into other people? What we sow into other people says a whole lot about the condition of our souls. Let's look at this verse, Galatians chapter 6, before we get right into the heart of Judges here. Galatians chapter 6, New King James says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that will he also... You guys read that? Reap, yeah. Let's go, verse 8. It says, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, will of the Spirit reap everlasting Life. What a man sows, that he will also reap. What goes around, comes around. We have this responsibility with our life of what we sow into other people. And we're going to look at these two characters here, right here in the book of Judges. Judges 1 verse 1 says this, After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, Which tribe should go first to attack the Canaanites? The Lord answered and said, Judah, for I have given them victory over the land. And the men of Judah said to their relatives from the tribe of Simeon, Join with us to fight against the Canaanites living in the territory allotted to us. Then we will help you conquer your territory. So the men of Simeon went with Judah. Verse 4. When the men of Judah attacked, the Lord gave them victory over the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and they killed 10,000 enemy warriors at the town of Bezak, or Bezik, however it's pronounced. While at Bezik, they encountered King Adonai and fought against him. And the Canaanites and the Perizzites were defeated. And Adonai escaped, but the Israelites soon captured him. And here, catch this. You probably never studied this in a, in a uh, Sunday school class before. They cut off his thumbs and his big toes. It was brutal back then. Verse 7. Adonai said... I once had 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off, eating scraps from under my table. Now, listen to what he says. Now, God has paid me back for what I did to them. They took him to Jerusalem, and he died there. So what he was doing, 70 kings, when he would conquer a land, he would take the king of the land that he defeated, 
cut off their thumbs and their big toes. Here, he's now the ex-king, and what is happening to him? His thumbs and his big toes are being cut off, and he died. Uh, chapter 9, we're going to skip ahead and look at, a, at another person here. Abimelech. Abimelech. Anybody named Abimelech in here? You're not going to admit it, are you? One day, Gideon's son, Gideon, we're going to get to Gideon in a second. Gideon's son, Abimelech, went to Shechem, verse 1, to visit his uncles, his mother's brothers. He said to them and to the rest of his mother's family, ask the leading citizens of Shechem whether they want to be ruled by all 70 of Gideon's sons or by one man. And remember that I am your own flesh and blood. Verse 3. So Abimelech's uncles gave his message to all the citizens of Shechem on his behalf. And after listening to his proposal, the people of Shechem decided in favor of Abimelech because he was their relative. Verse 4, they gave him 70 silver coins from the temple, which he used to hire some reckless troublemakers who agreed to follow him. He went to his father's home, and there on one stone they killed all 70 of his half-brothers, the sons of Gideon. And the youngest brother, Jotham, he escaped. Verse 6, then all the leading citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo called a meeting under the oak beside the pillar at Shechem and made Abimelech their king. Jump ahead, verse 22. After Abimelech had ruled over Israel for three years, God sent a spirit that stirred up trouble between Abimelech and the leading citizens of Shechem, and they revolted. Verse 24. God was punishing Abimelech for murdering Gideon's 70 sons. How about that? and the citizens of Shechem for supporting him in the treachery of murdering his brothers. Skip on down, verse 52. Abimelech followed them to attack a tower. But as he prepared to set fire to the entrance, a woman on the roof dropped a millstone that landed on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. He quickly said to his younger Armor bear, draw your sword, kill me. Don't let it be said that a woman killed me. So the young man ran through him with his sword, and he died. And when Abimelech's men saw that he was dead, they disbanded and returned to their homes. In this way, verse 56, in this way God punished Abimelech for the evil he had done, against his father by murdering his 70 brothers, and God also punished the men of Shechem for all of their evil. You've got Adonai, conquered nations, took the kings, cut their thumbs and big toes off. How did he die? Having his thumbs and his big, big toes cut off. You've got Abimelech, who killed 70 half-brothers on one stone. How did he die? by having a stone dropped on his head. These two guys reaped what they sowed. Now, this is one of those cheery, uplifting messages. <laughs> Let's look at the book of wisdom, Proverbs. Let's look at a few of these verses here and see what wisdom tells us about sowing. Proverbs six nineteen: a false witness who... Or this is in context of God uh, hates... Uh, six things, seven things are abomination to him, and this is one of them, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. 
chapter 11, verse 18. The wicked man who does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness, sowing righteousness, he will have a sure reward. Chapter 16, verse 28. A perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. 22.8. He who sows iniquity will reap sorrow, and the rod of his anger will fail. What does Jesus say about this in Matthew chapter 7? Actually, I chose the message translation. Matthew 7, 12. It's in the context of Jesus uh, giving the Sermon on the Mount. He says, here is a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself, what do you want people to do for you? Then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and the prophets, and this is what you get. A simple rule of thumb. Folks, it's not that hard for us to do the right thing unless our souls are not in a good condition. And the only one who can make our souls in good condition, healthy condition, right standing condition is Jesus. Understanding and believing that God so loved the world that through his one and only son, he gave him for us, for the world. That anyone who would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's not just a good statement, uh, a good scripture to memorize at the age of five and all through life. It's good to remember, but it's powerful, it's revolutionary, it's eternal. It never loses its power. Jesus is the only one who can change and transform the soul of a human being. You see, it's important for us to pay attention to what we sow into others because what we sow into other people says a whole lot about the condition of our souls. Basically, we sow into others what we would want to get back. Think about it. Think about the context of life. And think about conversations you have. Nowadays, it's mostly text conversations. Think about how your thumbs type away at words. All that originates from where? The soul. Now, I'm not talking about we're perfect, we never mess up, we never say the wrong thing or any of that. I'm talking about, in general, the condition of our souls. What, what, what is laid out in Scripture for us is lost or found. These two guys sowed and they reaped what they sowed. You and I will sow into other people's lives, and you and I will reap what, based on what we sow now. The time frame of reaping is up to the Lord. Sometimes it's right away, and other times it might be 20 years down the road. It might even be in the next generation coming up through you that they will reap what you sowed 40 years earlier. I don't know really which is worse. I think they're both just equally wrong, equally bad. I, wouldn't want, I don't want that. God does not want that. Here's the thing. God's purpose for your life, God's great intent for your life can be blocked because of how we sow into other people's lives. We've got to consider what we sow. The second thing is this, and this is the final point today. Aren't you glad? Just two? Two factors today. Sowing, the other one is this, speaking. Sowing is about what we do into other people. Speaking proposes the question this, what am I speaking over my life? 
What am I saying over me, my household, my family, my church family? What am I speaking? See, what I speak over my life says a whole lot also about the condition of my soul. Now, this is where we're going to talk about. We're going to get into Gideon here for a minute. Chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. Gideon. Verse 1 says this, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. See, there it is again. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains and caves and the strongholds. Jump down to verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree, which belonged to Joash. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. Threshing wheat in a wine press to hide. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. He said these words, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Verse 13, Sir, Gideon replied, Hello, McFly, if the Lord is with us, Why has all this happened to us? And where are the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Verse 14, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Gideon, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites because I am sending you. Verse 15, But Lord... Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in the entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy, this is powerful, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Now here you find the introduction of Gideon, the mighty hero. Doesn't sound much like a hero, right? Why? Because Gideon, here's the thing, Gideon was speaking what he saw, not what was true about him. Gideon was was speaking what he saw about himself, not what was really true about him. But God saw Gideon as a mighty warrior and a strong leader. You see, God's perception and view of us is always better than what we view of ourselves. Always. But it takes us, our faith, to line up with His Word and what He has to say about our life in order for that Word to come to pass in our life. See, Gideon was caught up on speaking the wrong things over his life. Now, had he stayed in that position... He wouldn't go on and have such a heroic outcome with the life of Gideon. Through a series of conversations and a series of tests, God leads Gideon to assemble an army and whittles it down from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. I mean, you go from 32 warriors fighting people down to 300. And God's whole premise in that and purpose in that was so that the people wouldn't take credit for what God was going to do through them. But yet still, Gideon was unsure. So here's what happened next. Chapter 7, move over to the next chapter, verse 9. 
That night the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down into the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant. Listen to what they say. Listen to the Midianites. They are saying, and you, and, and, and you will be greatly encouraged, and then you will be eager to attack. So, verse 13. Here's what happens. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp and hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. Verse 14, his companion answered, and he said, Your dream can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. That's what that dream means. Verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream, he freaked out and ran away. Now, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and he shouted, Get up! For the Lord has given you victory over the Midianites. That's the first thing he did. Let me say it this way. At the right time, God will put it into your ears what you need to hear so that you can do what He wants you to do. At the right time, God will put into your ears what you need to hear so that you can do what God wants you to do. We've been hearing the right things this morning about God's unwavering and faithful love for us about how His love conquers fear, dispels it, puts it away, because that's what perfect love does. Real love does not strike fear. Real love brings comfort and peace. We've been hearing that this morning. That you and I, we don't have to be afraid. Whatever situations you are facing whatever issues are going on in your neck of the woods, rest assured in God's love for you because it's perfect. And God will get into your ears what you need to hear at the right time so that you can do what He wants you to do. Because Jeremy Horn is absolutely right. Fear is one of the biggest enemies of our soul. It will paralyze us. Cold in our tracks stop you. Fear and unbelief every single time. The enemy can get you to doubt God, to disbelieve Him, to discount His love for you, then guess what? You will never finish and fulfill what you're put on this earth for. I don't know how many people have lived, died, buried in a a six-foot grave underground, and never fulfilled their purpose. Why? Because they let fear control their life. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. We have to learn to speak the right things over our life. Even in the most simplest of contexts, when uh, just the other day I caught myself, I, did, I was doing something and I made a mistake and I was like, oh, you goofball. Now I'm just joking with myself. Obviously I do that a lot and, you know, because I make a lot of mistakes. Goofball. 
But how about instead of I, 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 start, I, start, I stop saying, hey, you goofball, and start saying, hey, you smart, handsome man of God. <laughs> I might have a little more confidence then, right? I say that tongue-in-cheek, but how many times do we say the wrong things over our life? Man, God help me, how many times do we say the wrong things over our kids? And it's not always necessarily with ill intent. It's just pretty much we've had it up to here, and we don't know what else to say, right? But come on, God has a purpose. God has great intent for our lives, and we've got to learn to speak what God says about us. I'm not talking about feelings. I'm talking about condition. If you want the condition of your soul to change and to be healthy, to be at rest, to be centered, to be right, to be justified, you've got to speak what God says about you. If you want to fulfill what God has for you, because let's just get real, there will always be battles you and I will have to face. There will always be storms that we will have to go through. There will always be conflicts that we will have to deal with. There will always be uncertainties that you and I will have to come face to face with, but that does not mean we will lose the battle. What it means is we must learn to speak the right things over our life. We've got to learn what God has to say about us. Gideon, speaking negative. To then, God sets it up to where the enemy actually says something positive about Gideon. And he's like, what, what? He's ready. He is ready. So then, the final thought with Gideon is he learns, to, he learns to speak the right things over his life. And as a result, I find three outcomes as a result of this. Chapter 7, verse 16. The first positive outcome after Gideon learns to speak the right things over his life is number one is this, he encourages himself. I know a lot of times we're looking around for other people to say the right thing to us. But friend, if we don't learn to say the right things first, we'll be waiting by the curb, always waiting for somebody to say the right thing. Because what do you do when somebody says the wrong thing? God help them if you're in a bad mood that day, right? He encourages himself. Verse 16. Gideon divided the 300 men into three groups, gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. Then he said to them, listen to, to this confidence. Listen to this bravery. Listen to this courage. Keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. Come on, who can say that unless they got some courage? Some cor courage, courage. Any Wizard of Oz fans? Whatever that is, I did. I don't have any idea. But I've got courage, so I'm going to say it. 
Can you see it? Can you hear it in Gideon's voice? He's no longer questioning the angel of the Lord. An angel sat down in front of him and said, Mighty hero of the Lord. And he doubted it. I'm the weakest. I'm from the smallest. My tribe, we might as well not even be a tribe. Shoot. Somebody says, boo, and we run. Look at me. I'm hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat. Why do you think that is? Because I'm scared. Anybody ever been scared? How about this? Anybody ever been scared? Gideon learned to speak the right things over his life, and he stood there before his people with confidence, with courage. Keep your eyes on me. When you see me, do what I do. Man, that's powerful. I want to be like Gideon. Oftentimes, I'm like the first part of Gideon. I'm scared. I can't. I'm weak. I'm hiding. There ain't no way. What about all the stuff you said you were going to do? And then here we are, finally. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But it goes to finally gets to a place where he learned to speak the right things over his life, and he encourages himself, and he can stand before his people and say, keep your eyes on me. And whatever I do, you do. Now imagine if we were that kind of people as moms and dads to our kids. That we could say that with fear of the Lord, but with honesty and tell our kids, keep your eyes on me, kids. Do as your mom and I do. Because we ain't going to do what the world does. We're going to do what God has said. Keep your eyes on me. I'm going to show you how to live a faith-filled life. I'm going to make my mistakes, and I'm going to fall down, but I'm going I'm to repent, and I'm going to apologize, and I'm going to make it right. I'm not going to let things go bad and stay bad. Do as I do. The other thing is this. When we learn to speak the right things over our life, we learn from Gideon, it inspires others for God. Verse 18. As soon, Gideon said, as soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too, all around the entire camp, and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Verse 19. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp, and suddenly they blew the ram's horns and they broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns, broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands, and they all shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. How about that? They were no longer afraid. Why? Because somebody by the name of Gideon took God's word for his life serious, and he changed the trajectory of Israel that day. You and I have the power to change the, direct, the trajectory of our life and our children's lives and the generations coming up behind us. If you and I will not be afraid, but we will speak what God says about our life, and we will constantly prof uh, profess that and declare that over us, even in the middle of chaos, even in the middle of mistakes, even in the middle of a drought, we will still proclaim God's goodness over our life. It will, cha it will change and it will shape the outcome 
of your life and your family. But you got to believe it, and you got to speak the right things over your life. And it will encourage, it will inspire others around you. You walk into work one day on a Monday. I'm not prophesying this over anybody, but it happens. You, work, you walk into work on a Monday, and everybody's in a bad mood. What are you going to do about it? Go hide in your corner? I don't want to be around these people. They are depressing. Are you going to walk up in there like you own the joint? And you're going to go up to that person who's down, who's depressed, who's sad, and you're going to say, hey, look up. God has got a plan for you. That might not lead to any more conversation. It might stop at that. But I guarantee you, they're going to be thinking about what you said at lunchtime and at the time they punch out to go home and on their drive home. They're going to be thinking, really? God has a plan for my life? Why? Because you learned to speak the right things over your life. You can encourage somebody else. And the last thing is this, verse 21 When you speak the right things over your life from God's word, it confuses the blank out of the enemy. It confuses the enemy. Verse 21. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. And when the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. And those who were not killed, they fled, and they ended up chasing them down. The enemy was confused because that was not supposed to happen. The enemy was supposed to win. The enemy was supposed to win. They were not supposed to panic and get confused and things go chaotic and then take out their own swords against one another. That was not supposed to happen, but it happened because Gideon spoke the right things over his life. As we learn to speak the right things over our life, we'll encourage ourselves. God knows we all need encouragement, right? We'll encourage and inspire other people. I think that's probably one of the most prominent things that could be said about a person is, man, they inspired others for the Lord. And it will confuse the enemy. And the enemy, when he's confused dissipates, runs. It's important, friends. It's important that we pay attention to what we sow into other people's lives and to what we are speaking over our own life because it says a whole lot about the condition of our soul if we're lost or if we're found. I want to read this closing scripture over us. You can put your Bibles, your pens, your notebooks away. I appreciate all the note takers in the room. I'm going to read it in two different translations. First in New King James and then in the message. It's Psalm 42 verse 5. Psalmist says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? He's speaking to to himself. And he tells himself this. 
hope in God. For I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. I look at it in the message. Why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? He's talking to himself. Why are you crying the blues? Then he speaks over himself. Fix my eyes on God. Soon I'll be praising again. He puts a smile on my face. He's my God. I could just, I don't know what the God looks like. I don't have a clue, but I could just imagine him saying, Hmm, that's my God. In his native tongue, that's my God. When your soul is in the dumps, you can stay there or you can come out. The way you come out is you begin to speak the right things over your soul. And you'll be praising God. You'll be giving Him glory. And you'll be able to say, as God puts a smile on your face, that is my God. Amen.